0: While you're standing, let's go to uh, Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. We're going to look at the first five verses. And uh, I felt some conviction this week uh, as I was just meditating on this verse, preparing for today's sermon, uh, because I was at a a restaurant, a locally owned restaurant, enjoying uh, some time to myself to have a, a lunch to myself. When the owner of the restaurant came by And just a second before he came by to ask me a question, I was complaining in my mind because I asked for salad with dressing on the side. And I was very clear because last time I was there, they brought me salad and it had so much dressing on it that I was like, not only is this not healthy, but it doesn't taste good. It tastes like candy. Salad is not supposed to taste like candy, right? And so I was complaining in my mind. I'm like, oh, they did it again. They put this and he came by and he asked me a simple question. He said, is your food great? Is it is it perfect? I looked at him. I said, of course it is perfect. (laughs) And he left and I was just so convicted. I was like, not only at first, I'm like, why did you just lie to this man? This is not perfect. This is not what you asked for. And I just began to think about my own heart and why it is in moments of conflict when I have an opportunity to share the truth that sometimes I cowered away and say the opposite of what I want to say. And because I was working through this passage this week, I was reminded by this call to be a a spirit led person who's a part of a spirit led church that humbly, that humbly brings healing and help to people who need it, that humbly brings help and healing to people who need it. And perhaps that's you today, perhaps you know someone who is in need of restoration. They are missing the mark in a very specific way. My question to you today is, are you going to allow the spirit to lead you to bring that restoration? Or perhaps they're not stuck in sin or they haven't necessarily done something wrong, but they're carrying a a burden, they're carrying a a load. This text today is going to uh, encourage us that a spirit led people that we humbly come alongside those people who are carrying a load and we help to take that load off of them. So if, if you are like me and sometimes you struggle to run to action where there's a clear call to go to action today, God wants to help us through his word by showing us how to do so with faith and obedience. Verse one, the apostle Paul writes, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So Paul here is continuing this conversation that we looked at last week about what does it mean to be a spirit led church? A spirit led church is a church that does not walk in the ways of the world, but rather they walk in the ways of the Christ. They are a part of a new kingdom, a new way of living, and they are constantly seeking out the Spirit's will to be led by the Spirit. And now Paul is going to show a very practical outworking of the Spirit-led church. And he wants to show us, in essence, two things. That a Spirit-led church is a church that restores those who are entangled in sin with gentleness. And also a Spirit-led church is a church that carries one another's burdens with the love of Christ. To put it another way, a Spirit-led church is a church that brings healing to people who are entangled in sin, and a Spirit-led church is a church that helps people who are carrying heavy burdens. And today, we want to look at what that means for us individually, but ultimately what that means for us as a church, because we want to be a church that is Spirit-led. A church that is marked by the Holy Spirit, by the fruit of the Spirit of love, peace, joy, gentleness, kindness, long suffering, and self control. Because we believe as we follow Jesus, as we are indwelled and filled with His Holy Spirit, then we can live on mission and that we can be a light to a broken world. And so Paul starts off and he says, Listen, brothers and sisters. If anyone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit. And I notice what he says here. He says, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing. Now, this term overtaken could mean someone who was just blind to their sin. And they're so blind to their sin that they don't realize that they are in sin. Uh, but more than likely, it's someone who probably recognizes that they are in sin, but they're stuck. You've heard me say it once, and I'll say it probably a hundred other times if you continue to to be here at Midtown, right? Sin has a way of, of, of keeping us longer than we intended to stay. It seduces us and tells us that what we're doing is okay for the moment, and then we get caught. We get ensnared, and we get entangled, and then our whole person, body, mind, and spirit is affected by it. Then we become deceived it, it binds, it blinds, and then it grinds. We get caught. We get caught up. And Paul is saying, if you see someone who is caught up, you see someone who is, who is in that bind, in that grind, it is your responsibility to restore them. Now, notice he says, it is your responsibility, the person who is spiritual, the person who is spiritual. Now, oftentimes when I've uh, read this text or uh, go to this verse, I often, you know, it's easy for us to focus on the person who is caught in wrongdoing. Uh, I've heard it preached and heard it taught so many times where the focus is on the person who is in wrongdoing. But actually, in this passage, the focus is more on uh, the person who is spiritual and their responsibility to the person who is wrongdoing. In five verses, there's caution after caution, not to the person who is caught in sin but to to the person who is to restore the person who is caught in sin to the person who is spiritual now what does it mean to be a person who is spiritual you hear this term it may be a temptation for us to think of our spiritual heroes perhaps john perkins like that's the person who should be responding one of my spiritual heroes or john piper for the glory of god right Like for the glory of god we need to restore this person like that's the person that should be restoring this person But the person, y'all crazy, but the person who is spiritual here is not necessarily Perkins or Piper, right? Uh, Though they are are spiritual. The spirituality is the person who is walking in the spirit, who is being led by the spirit, who is, is marked by the fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. It is a disciple of Jesus Christ who is actively pursuing Jesus and taking their walk with Jesus seriously. I pray that as we read this text as a church, we have people who come to mind and say, this person is a spiritual person. It's not necessarily a pastor or someone who is a deacon, but it's a community group member. It's a person who serves to connect. It's a person who serves in our children's ministry. It's a person that you spent time with yesterday with Affordable Christmas who came here to serve the community and to give people who are having a harder time this Christmas an uh, opportunity to buy gifts for their children. Uh, hopefully, when we see this person that says a spiritual person, we can look at it and say, oh, I'm filled and I'm surrounded by people in my church who are spiritual people, people who are full of the Holy Spirit, who humbly walk with the Lord. It's not the super Christian or the super saint. We all, if we are a disciple of Jesus Christ, is called to walk in the Spirit and to restore a person who was entangled in sin. This word restore was used two ways uh, in, in the first century uh, most often. Uh, one, it was a medical term that talked about a bone being broken, right? It's a picture of a, of a doctor restoring a broken bone in a person. But another way that it's used, uh, is to refer to nets, that uh, fishermen nets that needed mending, restoring a net that was broken. So what does Paul say? He says, yo, you who are spiritual, you who are disciples of Jesus Christ, you've been given a ministry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, of reconciliation. If you're a Christian, you've been given a ministry of restoration. And for some of us, that's really hard because we are non-confrontational people. And that's okay. Because one of the marks of the Holy Spirit is that the Spirit fills us up to care for the person who is hurting and to help restore them. But he says, when you restore them, you do it with a specific attribute. And what's that attribute? You do it with with gentleness. In other translations, it says with humility. Humility is not thinking less of oneself, C.S. Lewis said, but rather it is thinking of oneself less. Humility is an attribute of us running towards other people with the posture of Jesus. It's us bending down to help pick up. And when we do so, it's not about us. We don't restore someone maliciously or selfishly comparing ourselves and looking down upon them. No, we restore them knowing that that could easily be me. And one day it may be me and I may need that person to restore me. We do so with a mindset that Paul had when he wrote to, to Timothy and he says, listen, I am the chief among all sinners. And I don't believe that was a false humility. Paul is saying, listen, I know that there are some brothers in Ephesus who are teaching false doctrine and who have gone wayward. But I'm writing to you and saying, get these things in order here with a spirit of humility, because I know myself. And because I know myself better, I know them. I know that I'm a sinner. Paul is saying that's how you restore one. You do it with humility, with gentleness. A couple months ago, my daughter was in sojourn uh, kids and she was running. My youngest daughter and she tried to break her fall with her with her uh, arm and she ended up breaking her arm and it was a nasty break. I remember running to go see it. Somebody said, oh, your daughter broke her arm. I'm like, okay. And I'm just kind of going with a little haste. And then I saw, I was like, oh, like she really broke it. Like it's a you, right? And I was just amazed by our medical team and how they just gently cared for her. They wrapped it up. We got to the hospital and the nurses looked at it. They said, sir, did you do this? I said, no, ma'am. She's like, man, whoever wrapped this up, they, did a, they knew what they were doing. I said, yes, this is our church. It was our medical staff. They, they took care of her. They said they did a phenomenal job. But they saw her hurting and it wasn't about them being the, the hero. In fact, honestly, I had to ask my wife, who was there serving? Because they served in such a way that I didn't even realize who it was there that I was talking to because I was such in a moment. They cared for her in such a way that it wasn't about them and their pride and their ego. It was about helping this person who was hurting. In the same way, the Lord says we have that responsibility. Each person in the church is a child of God. We are to come alongside them, not to fulfill our ego or or to fulfill ourselves so that people can look at us and say, look at them, how strong they are. But for the opposite. So because we care for this person whom God has saved by grace, who God has snatched from hell, whom God has placed his mercy upon And we say, Lord, I want to be a conduit to help remind this person of the good news of Jesus, to remind this person that Jesus is sweeter than life, that he's sweeter than honey on a honeycomb. That he is the way, the truth and the life that what he has stored up for us does not what this world is tempting us, does not compare to what he has stored up for us. So we do it with humility and with gentleness. We do it to help. Replace that spiritual bone back in place. Notice what he says here. Watching out for yourself so that you also won't be tempted. There's a reality that when a, a prideful person seeks to help someone else and when we don't do it in gentleness or even if we do do it in gentleness, that if we're not watching our own life, then we will be tempted. I tell People all the time, and I remember once there was an analogy, there was a famous pastor who, who fell into sin. It was like on, on the, all the Christian news uh, uh, sites and everyone was talking about it. And this person was telling me about this person that had fallen. And it almost was like a, a gloating in it because they didn't agree with this person theologically. And the Lord gave me an analogy like, man, when you see someone uh, has fallen and You want to treat it in the same way, preferably that you treat a a bad wreck on the side of the road. You don't look and gloat and say, look at them, how foolish they were. And as a result, they deserve to be there. No, you look and you say, let me slow down, drive with more attention and put my own seatbelt on. And essentially, that's what Paul is saying. Restore the brother or sister who is hurting And he's going to go and emphasize once again, humility and not comparing ourselves to one another. Because the troublemakers, the the Judaizers of of Galatia, of Antioch, they were uh, coming in and you see in verses 11 through 15 in chapter six. It seems like they were just boasting upon themselves and even boasting to the church about people within the church who had left this message of salvation by grace. And now they're kind of boasting about this, this message of salvation by Jesus and circumcision or salvation by, by circumcision. And Paul is saying, don't be like those people who are comparing themselves to other people and who are, are, are making their ministry about themselves. But I'd rather do this, look at verse 3. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Christian is a person who recognizes Paul told the church in Corinthians, everything that I have is a result of the grace of God. Thereby, how can I boast? Every, everything, every gift that I have, every gift that you have is by grace alone. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. You didn't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. What separates you from anyone else is that God was gracious to you to give you that. And if you believe otherwise, If you believe that the reason that you're saved and and that you're here today is because you figured it out, then you are walking in self-deception. If you believe your bank account is what it is because you pulled yourself by your own, you are walking in self-deception. If you believe that you're having the impact that you're having on your community group or lost friends, you are walking in self-deception. If you believe it was by you, all of life is by grace. Paul has given us an invitation to slow down, to examine our own heart. Verse four, let each person examine his own work and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. Is Paul contradicting himself by saying take pride in himself alone? No, he's going to bring clarity in verse five for each person will have to carry his own load. Paul is saying, listen, don't compare yourself to other people and where they are and look down upon them rather Look at what you are doing and where you are in light of eternity, knowing that one day you will stand before the judgment seat of God. And he uses a different word here than he uses in verse two for carrying burdens. Right. And restoring a brother. Here he uses this idea of load. It's a smaller burden in the Greek. It's it's like a backpack. He says one day you will stand before the judgment seat of God and give account for how you carried your own load. All of us has been given a ministry of reconciliation. All of us has been called to restore brothers and sisters in Christ, whether it's something that comes natural to us or not. And the Spirit helps us to do so. Second, not only does a Spirit-led church heal the person who is entangled in sin, the Spirit-led church carries one another's burdens with a Christ-like love. They help the one who is hurting. Verse 2, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. So I believe Paul moves from just talking about restoring someone who is entangled in sin. And he doesn't mention what the sin is. The sin could be pride. The sin could be lust. It could be adultery. It could be greed. It could be a whole sort of things. But then he's going to go a little more broader. He says, not only are you called to restore, spiritually restore that broken bone, but you're also called to carry the other person's, another person's burden. And this also takes humility. It takes humility in two ways. One, it takes humility for the person who has the burden to let the burden be known. And two, it takes humility for the person who sees someone with a, a burden, for that person to run to the action to help that burden. And my prayer for Sojourn Midtown is that we will be a church that is known for both. That is known for running to the action, for detecting when something isn't right habitually in our brothers and sisters lives. And we will run to the action to help carry that burden and that we will be a church that leads not with their strong foot forward, but with their weak foot forward who understands that it's not about me. Not to us, not to us, but to your name, give glory. Who have put to death the deeds of the flesh through the resurrected Christ and who can lead from a place of weakness and say, I don't have it all together. I need help. And here's the good news. God has saved you. He's brought you to know himself, delivered you from this present evil world, set his affection on you, not so that you can live as an individual who is disconnected and who can work things out in their own strength so but so that you can be a part of his ecclesia, his called out ones, his church and that you all can, that we now as a family can carry each other's burdens. Our sorrows can be cut in half and our joys should be able to be multiplied because of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul has said, I want you guys to be filled with the spirit so that the church, so that the other people in Galatia can know that there is something unique that happens when we gather together. We are not marked by immorality and selfishness and foolishness, but we are marked by kindness, love, peace, and joy. And in the first century where you were actually known it was known as a culture for boasting. In fact, if you didn't boast, you were seen as someone as weak. Paul says, I don't want you to be known for boasting in yourselves. I want you to be known. He's going to go on to say in his next section for boasting in Christ. I want you to be known for letting people know that you are hurting and having them help you to carry your burdens. Right. I mean, what's your burden? Is it a financial burden today? You're part of the body of Christ. You don't have to carry that burden alone. What's your burden? Is it, a, is it a sin burden? Is it a grief burden? Are you still grieving over a, a loss of a, of a parent, a, a loss of a friend, a loss of a spouse? This is a place where you can do that. You don't have to have it all together. You can let your brothers and sisters in Christ know I am hurting. And while everyone else seems to move past it, I haven't moved past it. And I feel ashamed. I feel feel guilty. I feel like something is wrong with me. Someone help me. What's your burden? Is it it loneliness, despair? Is it that things hadn't worked out in your relationships the way that you thought it should? Is it your marriage? God has given you an invitation. You don't have to carry it alone, Pastor Jamal. Because when we carry our burdens alone, it gets hard. You can let someone know, I struggle. This physical ailment, it it gets to me sometimes. This depression, it keeps me down sometimes. Sometimes I don't want to follow Jesus. In a church that is growing not selfishly, a church that is growing to look more like Jesus, a church that is able to spot out that, that someone is struggling, that, that this person is broken. And like Jesus in Mark chapter 7, when he sees this woman, when he enters into a city of Nain, and he sees this woman who was grieving the death of her only son, who now will probably be cut off financially because women in, 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 in that day did not work, and who was weeping and crying. The Bible says that Jesus is surrounded by a multitude of people. And he says he comes into this little town and he stops. And the Bible says, and he saw her. I love that. He saw her. In a Greek, he had compassion upon upon her. And he stopped talking to the multitude. He walks to this woman. He resurrects her son. He pays attention to her in her pain. That's what it means to carry someone's burden. It means to stop. And I know you got your own burden. You're like, Pastor Jamal, I can't carry somebody else's burden. I've got my own burden. But there is power. The Holy Spirit does something in our hearts when we pause and get the attention off of ourselves and help someone else. And then when we share with other people, hey, I'm carrying a burden as well. We stop. We pay attention. We pray. We meet that need if we can, but if we can't, we start looking around and saying, who in the body of Christ may be able to meet this need? Paul says, this is a spirit led church. A spirit led church is a church that is helping each other carry. Joel, I'm going to ask you to come up and help me to carry this back, brother, so I can have some wind in my lungs to finish this sermon. This is what God has given you your church for, your community group, your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a lot easier. Imagine me trying to carry that for years. And some of y'all have been carrying stuff for years, exhausted, wondering if Jesus loves you. But you're not taking advantage of the means of grace. He says, yes, I love you. Look at the next section of that verse. Verse 2, carry one another's burdens in this way. You will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, is Paul giving us a new law here, a new code? Seems like it could be contradictory because he's told us throughout this letter that salvation is not through the law and we're no longer under the law. But no, Paul is pointing us back to Jesus' words in Matthew 22, 37 through 38. When he says, what is the greatest command? It's to love God with your heart, mind and soul and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is the law of Christ. We see James picks up in James chapter two. He calls this the royal law to love your neighbor as yourself. We see he does this in chapter five. When he's talking about this law of love, this is not a new code of of, of law. This is him interpreting the law Christocentrically with Jesus as the focus, the one who fulfilled the law. He says, When you come and you bend over humbly to help restore a brother, to help carry a sister's burden, you are living like Jesus, thereby fulfilling the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God wholly and love your neighbor as yourself. Now there's a tension. There's really, really three tensions, really three tensions in this text. Here they are. The three tensions that the Spirit-led church lives in is this, is that Christians are called to be neither quick to criticize nor slow to confront. All right. We need wisdom. Like, when should I confront and when should I not? When should I speak up? To that person who needs restoration and when should I know that this isn't, this isn't me. This isn't my responsibility. John Piper has a quote. He says, through faith, God supplies the spirit of Christ. Through the spirit, we produce the fruit of love. Through love, we fulfill the law of Christ. Nobody who lives by the law of Christ and in the power of Christ can say about a brother or sister sin, that's not my business. I don't have to add That to my burdens, it's her problem, not mine's. But what is this tension? How do we live in this call to neither be quick to criticize nor slow to speak? After all, 1 Peter 4 and 8 says love covers a multitude of sins. Yet at the same time, we're called to confront people who are in sin. Is this a contradiction? Proverbs 26, 4 and 5 says, do not answer a fool according to his folly or you yourselves will be just like him then the very next verse, answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Like, which is it? Is this a contradiction? No, what the Bible is saying, the Proverbs are principles, not promises, is that it takes wisdom. The book of Proverbs is a book about wisdom. Proverbs 8 tells us that wisdom comes from above. Our invitation when we see someone who is struggling in sin or carrying a burden is to seek the face of God, to pray for wisdom. Lord, are you calling me to confront this person now? And if so, how? Are you calling me to carry this specific burden for this person now? And if so, how? And rather than pointing to ourselves and trying to figure out whether or not I feel like it or I have time, perhaps a better question to ask is what will happen if I don't? What will happen to this person if I don't? What will happen to our church if I don't? Which will God be most glorified through? So we want to examine our own heart. For some of us, like I would help my brother or sister in Christ who is entangled in sin, but I've got my own sins that I'm dealing with. Well, guess what? That's not an invitation for you to do nothing. It's an invitation for you to confess your sins so that you yourself will be healed. That's an invitation for you to take the log out of your own eye, as Jesus said, before getting the speck out of your brother's eye. It's not just go take the log out of your, you got a log in your eye, so just leave it there and let your brother, you know, y'all both just do your own thing. No, it's go, you do something and then go and help. And that's God's invitation to us. Second tension is the Christian life comes with a personal and corporate call. We see in this text that we're called to carry one another's burdens, but we're also called to carry our own load. And again, this takes the Holy Spirit. Those who walk by the Spirit will not gratify the deeds of the flesh. We want to protect ourselves from two extremes. The one extreme is where we're all about community and corporate things. And we neglect our own soul. Watch your life and your doctrine. We neglect to do that. And we're all about community. That's one extreme. The other extreme is that we become all about our own personal walk with Jesus, that we neglect the fact that we've been called to live in community with others. And it's the Holy Spirit that helps us to live in attention. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, let him who cannot be alone be aware of community. Let him who is not in community be aware of being alone. Each by itself has profound perils and pitfall, pitfalls. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. And the one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self infatuation, and despair. We need both, we need community. And we need to walk closely with Jesus. And third, I want to see this, this call, this tension for pastors to be overseers and members to be reconcilers. I've served in churches and seen churches where pastors are called or expected to do all of the care in a church to the point that the church is unhealthy Right. And there's other senses in which pastors are called to just preach and teach and never to engage with people in their lives. And the Bible says, no, both need to take place. Pastors are called to be overseas. They're called to shepherd sheep in a variety of ways, but also members are called to care for each other. And throughout the scriptures, we see this call and what we call this one another ministry ministry. Elders are called to equip the saints for the work of ministry. I praise God that this is happening at our church. I praise God this week. I got to experience a ministry called restore that we have here. That's put on by our care ministry. And it was amazing to see, I don't know, close to 40 individuals who for the last few months went together in community to learn about how the gospel applies to their life. And I heard testimony after testimony. And what was interesting about the testimony was a couple things. one, was that people felt loved. They spoke in very direct ways of how other people helped carry their burdens. But two, they realized that while I came to get help in a specific area of my life and heart, to to learn how the gospel applies to my life and heart, I ended up being useful for someone else. And as a result, I have new friends. All right, the body is called to care for the body. We see this happening in community groups all the time. We see this happening in our adoption ministry. We see this happening all throughout our church. And I want to encourage you to exhort you to continue to do so, for in doing so, you fulfill the law, the law of Christ. You love like Jesus. And over and over in scripture, 59 times do we see these one-anothers, John 13, 14, and 15, love one another. Ephesians 4:32, be kind and compassionate to one another. Ephesians 4:32, forgiving each other. Colossians 3:16, admonishing, other words, correcting one another. 1 Thessalonians 5:11, building each other up. James 5:16, confessing your sins to one another. James 5. Uh, uh, 16 also tells us to pray for one another. My favorite Romans 15:14, "My brothers and my sisters, I am convinced I am satisfied about you, that you are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and able to instruct one another, able to care for one another. So listen, if you are a Christian, part of your discipleship, part of being coming under the yoke of Christ is seeking to be an active disciple of Jesus who experiences the power of Jesus and transformation through your life so that you are growing in a supernatural way in love, joy, peace, suffering, and so forth. And it should be a goal of yours as well to be a part of a church that is communally and collectively growing in the fruit of the Spirit. Five years from now, I pray that I'm standing in this pulpit and I'm preaching to you along with the other elders and we are able to say, it's it seems like the church is growing deeper in love for one another, carrying each other's burdens and restoring each other when we're entangled in sin. And the only way we do that is by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the one who came to restore our broken spiritual bones. The one who loved us so much that he traveled 14 generations The one who loved us so much that he limited himself, though he is all-powerful, all-knowing and omniscient to a human body, to time and space, the one who died the death that we deserve and who defeated death by going up the Via Della Rosa, that road of sorrow, the one who was buried in Joseph's borrowed tomb, but on a third day got up with all power, who ascended into heaven and is sitting on the right hand of the Father. We can carry each other's burdens. We can help and heal each other because we have been healed and have been helped and we are being healed and are being helped. We do it because we've received grace and this grace has transformed us and is transforming us so that we can give grace. So I don't know. Should I have confronted the brother on the salad? I don't know, but I know this. <laughs> Next time I go there because they chicken is too good to not go there again. I'm going to say, brother, Last two times I was here, I meant this, and this is what happened. But I, mistake, I make mistakes all the time, too. And so this time I'm asking for this. And if they come back with my salad drenched, pray that I walk in the spirit. Amen. <laughs> every day, Every Sunday we gather together. We take a meal together to remind us of Christ's love for us, a meal called communion. Uh, On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, broke it, said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he took a cup and said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood shed for you. As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Here at Sojourn, we take a piece of bread, we dip it in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. If you're not a Christian, we want to ask you not to partake in this meal, but our genuine plea to you is to, to take Christ. Let him carry your burdens. Let him restore your broken bones That's a result of the fall. Let him forgive you of your sins and place upon you his righteousness and thereby taking your sin and the debt of your sin upon himself. Let him give you new life. Let him be your brother, your father, your friend. In order to receive this gift, you don't have to get yourself together, you have to acknowledge that you are a sinner, confess your sins, believe that he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to turn and trust him and you will be saved. Those of you in the front half the room, go to the front back half the room, go to the back. Gluten free, alcohol free communion is over to my left. Let's pray.